Welcome to the Christian Ministries Church Podcast. We're glad you've joined us to listen to a message from our pastor, Ashley Ellison. We believe God's Word is powerful and that it can be applied to our lives so that we may live victoriously. Let's join Pastor Ashley now as he shares the Word with us. I'm excited. I'm, I'll use Pastor Tim's line. I'm boiling with excitement. I'm just ready. I'm ready to go. I've got a lot to talk about. So let me quickly get on to a few things that I need to say uh, that I believe that God has shown me through his word that we need to recognize how we're going to counter what's happening. I mean, Pastor Dwayne's book, Counter Culture, is a whole book identifying what's going on in our culture and, and and then it is giving us what we do as Christians to counter that. Here's what's happening. And so I, I, as I've read that and, and studied it, I, I really, it's just been my heart for this church for years. We've got to know what culture even is. So let me give you a definition just to start out with. I like to define words and, and kind of know what this is. A culture is a way of life of a group of people. The beliefs, the behaviors, the values, and the symbols that they accept. Generally, without thinking about them. And those things are passed along by communication and imitation from one generation to the next. That is a definition that I've been pondering ever since God laid this culture conference on my heart. And, and I'm seeing our culture changing a lot in my short lifetime, and especially just since the start of this church, the way I knew it. And, and I got to tell you, I'm troubled with it. I mean, I really am. I'm troubled with what's going on so quickly. It just seems to be rapidly getting away to a place that I, I, I'm not excited about it. I'm not excited to go and do things. I mean, I, I just, I don't like change. Come on. So, all of us, I don't like change. I'm not into change. I mean, I like to, when I go to a restaurant, I know what to order, and this is what I order. And I, I do the same thing at most restaurants. I can't wait. Storm and Crab's one of the greatest places to eat in the whole country. I get the same order every time. I don't need a menu. I don't change. I don't like change. But I'm watching a culture change. And I haven't liked that. But I, I want you to know that change in life is inevitable. Everything changes. I mean, I just, with the change that's going on, one of the things that I see is many churches are the same church they were 50 years ago. They even have the same choir director. Now, they're 80, but I'm just, and I'm not putting that down, but we haven't changed to meet what is necessary in some areas, and other areas we've changed to meet things that we shouldn't have changed on. And so the whole idea is what do we change and what do we not change? Change is inevitable. Everything changes. I get that. We, that 80-year-old quadra, they will change or the church will close. And I've watched this happening in churches all over because we won't change. And I'm telling you, no changing in the church is a thing that I have watched for years. And I've watched every time we change something here, it, it is an opportunity for the devil to come in and cause problems. And, and here's the thing. Change is inevitable. We get that. But we shouldn't question whether we should change or not because it's going to happen. What we should question is that change taking you toward God or away from God. Yeah. Yeah. See, that's the answer you've got to 
be, be concerned with. In our society, here's what's happening. Change is taking people away from God. Are we aware of that? That's what's going on in our world. And so many easy, easy decisions that, that can bring an end to any argument come out of God's word. They're found in the Bible. But we're not using the Bible in our society as a means of truth because no one knows the Bible. And here's the thing. I know I'm talking about society. Let me just say it like this. We as the church are not bringing change into society because we, the church, don't know the Bible. Now, I was just teaching a week ago at a marriage conference, and I shared that one of the main reasons marriages are destroyed is bad friends and negative influences. It's one of the I mean, main things that happens in marriage is you get bad friends, you get negative influences. You don't want a good marriage hanging out with a bad marriage. The bad marriage wants to hang out with them, but if you do that a lot, you get yourself into a pickle. See, these bad friends, these negative friends, these negative influences are destroying not only marriage, but they're destroying relationships in our world. And they're destroying relationships in the church. Now, I've said this line for 25, 30 years, and I, I believe it with all that I am. Show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. You just show me who you hang out with. See, people have friend groups to justify how they live. Adultery, addictions, divorce, hatred, pride, offense, all of these things run in groups. Now, I won't give a principle today. They, they start with the belief. Now, Dwayne said some of this last night, and it's his words, not mine, but I, I can steal it, and he's here and okay with that. Because ultimately, he didn't come up with it. I'll give you some Bible verse here in a second. It was God. But, but belief in whatever you believe in becomes a behavior. And then that behavior will attract like kind. So if you are a cusser and foul words come out of your mouth all the time, you repel certain people and you attract others. It doesn't matter what it is. I mean, if you are in the middle of hatred in every form of your life, you attract people that hate. It's just the way we are. And, and enough of certain behaviors of these groups start defining society. Because if we go back to our definition, society is a group of people who share beliefs and behaviors and values and symbols. Now, I, I think this through all the time. Uh, there are groups who have changed and moved things towards God. And there are groups that have changed and moved things away from God. The church has got to wake up and start moving towards God and not let the enemy come and move our society here, our culture here, away from God. No matter what church you're from, there are groups that continue to move you away and there are groups that move you toward. My question is, which one are you in? And how do you define that? See, you got to recognize who is your group. You're needing to define culture. Well, you have to understand culture is a group. Yeah. Yeah. That's what defines culture. It's a group of people. That's what defines, are you here? If we're going to counter culture, it's got to come from a group of people. Yeah. And it's all based on what they believe, how they behave, what they value, the symbols that, that present who they are. And so you got to recognize who your group is. Now, back to the definition. If we understand that all of these things are 
who we are, then we need to check ourselves to define the group we're in. Now, all of this is easy to observe. You can find out what group someone's in, and you know why? Because they do it, back to my definition, without even thinking about it. They don't even think about it. You, you can't be around someone that a lot that cusses all the time and them just never cuss in your presence. It's just that's a natural way of them operating. And, and if you're a cusser, that's okay. Jesus can save you, and, and he can clean your mouth up. Just let him do it. I mean, it's just you've got to give that to him. But I know that when you're in groups that that happens all the time, you start. I, I never hang out with Tim that I don't get back the next week with Michelle, and she goes, you're sounding just like Tim. Now, Tim, she says that like it's a bad thing. Actually, I said it like it was a bad thing. Michelle and I saw in the early 2000s, just before the church started, we had a desire to counter a lot of what we were experiencing in our culture. And there are things in our culture that we didn't agree with that I knew at the time were moving people away from God. And we sent our kids to a school district that was teaching things that was moving them away from God. We had a child in first grade and in third grade, and it's our two daughters, and they're here tonight, uh, both of them, and I'm glad that they're here. And I just want you to know, I was watching the kids that were involved in church in their schools doing things that had nothing to do with God's plan for their life and was moving the group they were in away from God. And I'm like, okay, well, just don't listen to them. Just don't listen to them. And I'm trying to teach my kids not to listen to kids that I'm sending them and telling them to hang out with them. Hang out with these kids, but don't listen to them. Don't listen to what they're saying. Now, I understand that I was in a real tough situation. We were trying to find a culture that we could raise our daughters in that would get them into being an adult. They were first and third grade, and I needed to get them to adulthood and not turn into a generation of kids that weren't associating themselves and living according to the Word of God. What am I going to do? I mean, they're in first and third grade, and I'm thinking about what's going to happen when they're 19. I look back then and I think, that was so smart. (laughs) But nobody at the time thought it was. I was attacked from every corner. You know why? Because I didn't have a group. I was it. All the groups were saying, oh, you just have to deal with it. And I, I just kept watching what was going on and seeing what was happening. And, and here's what I did because I, I just came from, you got to show me that what you're talking about works before I believe you. I'm just, you can open your mouth and talk all day long, but if you don't have fruit, shut up. Because I'm not going to listen. And you can keep talking and I'm just kind of in one ear and out the ear. If it's not working for you, I'm not interested. So what I did is I found some kids that were graduating high school in different churches that I knew the pastors of, and I said, show me your best kids, because I want to watch them over the next year or two. I want to see what's happening. I want to see if they're sitting on the front row in church. I want to see if they're excited about the things of God. I want to see what's going on. I wasn't pastoring. We were just trying to navigate life. Michelle and I were watching these kids, and we investigated a bunch, and we couldn't find one that was an example of what we were looking for for our kids when they graduated high school in the environment we were in. 
And I'll never forget going to school and meeting with the principal. And I told the principal, I said, listen, we just have a real problem here because you're trying to teach certain things that we're not okay with. There's some things. I just want to know when you start teaching creation, evolution, I want to know the things and the systems that you use to teach because I want them to, there's an ideology behind everything. There's a, there, there's a slant. I want to know what's being taught here. And so they kind of got tired of hearing from me because Michelle and I were up at school all the time. And so I finally just said, okay, I'm not okay with this. I'm not okay with the punishment that's coming on a whole class. If, if my kid's not going to get punished more at home, don't, can, your kid's fine. Don't do anything. And they're punishing the whole class. And I come to find out that my daughter's first grade class at the school she was going to had four children in the class that were being raised by homosexual parents. And I'm, here's what the principal said. What are we going to do? I said, I don't know. That's the problem. You need to. You need to know. We went to open house. I remember the first open house, and we're looking at the pictures on the wall, and everybody's writing and drawing pictures of their families in first grade. And we're looking at pictures on the wall at our school that have two moms, mom one and mom two. And I'm just like, what are we going to do here? And I'm coming back, and the principal and I agreed with her. There's a problem. It's not this child's fault. And I agree with you. So what are we going to do? Because I can't teach that that's a normal family according to the word of God, but I feel horrible for this child. And so the compassion for the child, maybe we ought to stay, but the compassion for raising my kids when they turned 18, it was also, which way do I go? See, there's change coming. And is it moving us towards God or away from God? And all I could tell you is that change was going to move my kids away from God. And the, I met with the principal, and I said, what would you do? And she goes, you can't do anything. We have on our school board parents that have homosexual children, and they're pushing an agenda. And I said, well, somebody else needs to push the agenda. And they said, well, that'll take time. It'll take elections. I said, we've got to do something right now. They said, well, start your own school. I said, that's a good idea. <laughs> now, I didn't start a school because I was mad at them. We started looking for culture, and we found it in Hot Springs, Arkansas. We almost moved down there, but God wouldn't release us, and, and now we can jump forward and see that God had a plan for right here in southwest Missouri, and praise God, that's what happened. But I was watching the kids that were involved in church, and nothing was happening. I was watching the parents, and now I hear this word. I didn't even know this word back then, but woke. What does woke mean? What does that even mean? I hear it said all the time, and I had to find out what it means. It means hip. Yeah. It means you're hip. Well, I'm woke because I'm hip. <laughs> that's, uh, that's not a good definition. So I looked up, it's open-mindedness. That's what woke means. It's open-mindedness. Well, I could get that a little better. It's why we are frustrated with the woke movement. But let me give you the definition that really defines it from a Christian perspective. See, from a Christian perspective, someone who's woke is promoting tolerance for anyone different than yourself except for Christianity. Everything's okay except for God's way. So if you're going to do it God's way, then you are not woke. Guess what? I stand today and I proclaim I'm not woke. The parents, the parents allowing their kids into these movements of tolerance. 
to everything except for the Word of God, the parents are allowing this. In fact, they're sending them to institutions, government institutions that allow this. And I'm like, I have a problem with this. John Wesley says, because what one generation will tolerate, the next generation will embrace. Uh, all right, so let's go back to my definition, a group of people who share behaviors, beliefs, values, and symbols. I understand the parents may not have agreed with the way the kids were acting, but you didn't do anything about it. And so, so now we've got a generation of young people that are woke and they're against Christianity. People could care less about how people behave, how they believe, how they value things, the symbols that they use. They don't care unless it's Christianity and then they have a real problem with it. Are you seeing this? So you can just know the definition from a Christian perspective is woke means everything's good and that all sounds great except for it's horrible because everything's good except Christianity. That is woke. Now, we value, we value groups. Did you all grow up in a high school that had groups or clubs? I mean, we did. I mean, clubs in schools, clubs in schools. There's a whole bunch of different ones, FCA, 4-H, drama, speech and debate, all of these clubs, FBLA, uh, yearbook club, all of these things. In fact, there's a big push for clubs. You know why? Because there's a big push for culture, and culture is made up of people groups. So we're just defining culture tonight. And there are so many clubs that are available. Let me tell you one of the top 20, and it's moving up over the last several years. It's called a rainbow club. And, and you might think, well, this is California. Nope. Yeah. This is right here in good old southwest Missouri. Yeah. I about fell over when I found they were there. But let me tell you what a rainbow club, it's an important, this is their, their push. It's important that students, no matter what their sexual orientation, feel valued at their school. The Gay Straight Alliance Club, or the Rainbow Club, or there's a lot of different names for it, is meant to provide a safe environment for LGBTQ individuals and their straight allies, you should consider joining no matter what you identify as. Now, this is concerning because all of my clubs that I was in was in high school. But let me give you what's going on and the push that's going on in the community. You've got to be aware of what's happening right here. I took a picture and I asked Jill to make a slide out of this. This picture is a rainbow club, how you start it. Now, this may be very difficult to see, but it's how to start and sustain a rainbow club. What I want you to see in that is over to the right, it says K through five. This is not, I didn't make this sheet up to say, this is what I pulled off of their agenda. K through five. Now, I'll give you the steps. Find at least one ally in your community. You got to find his one to start. Just find one ally. Number two, decide who will plan, host, and organize each meeting. Number three, decide where and when your group will happen. Number four, get the word out. Number five, host the first meeting. Let me give you our five-step plan for starting a life group. Find at least one ally. Decide who will plan, host, and organize each meeting. Decide where your group and what they're going to do. Get the word out and have your first meeting. They're taking a strategy of the church and using it to build their own group. Y'all open your eyes really big so I can see how... Really? That's exactly what's happening. Show, show a picture real quick, Jill, of all the genders. I, I, this one amazes me. You know there's 105 gender identities? Now, there's not all 105 of them there, and here's why. Because some of them have words that I won't put in front of my children, my grandchildren, and my church. I'm not putting it up there. Now, you'll find male and female up there, so there's two of them that we identify with. 
Here's the other thing about when you look this up and you find all these genders, it's just so frustrating. But they start with, the definition of every one of the genders starts with how someone feels. Now, you're caught up on that screen. Take a picture and you look at it later. Take it down. They're not paying attention. So it then goes to say at the bottom of their list that this group, these groups are continually being added to because as people feel another gender come on, we will be adding to it. However you feel. Now, back to us pulling our kids out of school. The reason we did it, as I dug in deeper, and I, I kept dig- digging in deeper and deeper, I realized they were being pulled into groups. And that groups are what ends up making up culture. And I knew 20 years ago that we had to be very careful because our culture in 20 years is going to end up in a place. Yeah, that's right. And I, God was laying that on my heart then, and now I've watched it and watched it. And praise God, what this church has done is provided a counterculture and a place where you can feel loved, you can feel encouraged, you can get biblical principles, you have a place where you can raise your kids, you can enjoy entertainment with your family. There's so many things, but even here, we've got that agenda trying to come in. Even here. I I just, I'm so frustrated about what goes on with this LGBTQ thing. I mean, pride and rainbows, really? That's what they use, pride and rainbows, pride. Now, I understand it's Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction. I mean, we know these scriptures, Genesis 9, 13, I set my rainbow, that's God's rainbow, it's not theirs, it's God's rainbow. I set it in the cloud and it shall be for the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. The reason they're using the rainbow is because they want to interrupt the covenant that God established. See, it's just a disruption of covenant, that's all it is. All right, I got to move on just real quick. 2 Timothy 3, verse 1, you should know this, Timothy. Paul says, in the last days, there'll be very difficult times. Just see if this identifies with you. For people will love only themselves and their money. They'll be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful. They'll consider nothing sacred. They'll be unloving, unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They'll be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends. Be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they'll reject the power that could make them godly. We don't talk about this a lot in church, but then Paul goes on to say, stay away from people like that. This isn't a popular message. In fact, it makes everybody else really frustrated sometimes that don't understand the heart behind it. It doesn't mean that we don't witness and that we don't pray and that we encourage others to come into our life, but we don't go live in theirs. There's got to be a counter. I don't join their group. So I don't join. You watch your culture as it's defined by behaviors, behaviors, beliefs, where they place their value, their systems. And 2 Timothy gives you a list of 20 different things that you need to understand. Don't associate yourself with this. Don't associate. It's not going to work. Life's not going to work. Stay away from this. Stay away. It's like Tim was saying when he was standing at the bottom and people were acting like birds. That won't work. It won't work. And you're joining their group? Come on, as a church, you can't be joining the wrong group. There are just 20 things there to guard yourself from. I'd love to go through every one of them. You can read that. 
It's not hard to know who to build culture with if you have the word in you. I was learning who not to build culture with, but here was my problem. I thought I knew the answer. Well, I know where to go to not build culture with these people. I'll go to church. That didn't work. Because those same people were in the culture of church. The same people were in the church culture. So here's what Michelle and I were facing. What are we going to do? I'm talking, this is my testimony. 20 years ago, let's just isolate. We'll just go and, and we'll just disappear. And we'll just take our kids. And I thought, well, that'll be good, but we both really want grandkids. What do we do? And we realized that we had to be a pioneer for culture. Now, I'm just telling you, we've got some pioneers in here tonight. And many people think that just going to church is the answer, and I did, and it was a real problem for me because I knew that those same people were in church. And so what do you do? What do you do? Can I just give you a real one, two, three on what you do? Here, here's what you do. You make Jesus your answer. See, going to church is not the answer. And I'm telling you, church can get you closer to the answer. There's not a doubt. And it can get you equipped to get the life that God has for you. There's some equipping that goes on in church. But just because you're a garage or you have one doesn't mean that you're a car. Yeah. Yeah. See, they, they don't, we're putting things together don't go together. I mean, just because you're in a garage, okay, I'm in a garage, so I'm a car. That's not how that works. Yeah. See, just because you're in church doesn't mean, okay, I'm in the right group. What defines the group is a personal relationship with Jesus. Amen. And, and here, here's, I'm grateful for people that join church because they want to get their life straight. But joining church doesn't get your life straight. Jesus does. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I just think we've made this, this place. I've had people forever just dealing with culture. And I was even asked this week, what do I do to build culture? And I said, I don't really know. Come talk to Tim and Dwayne. They'll be here. And Stephen, they can, if you don't, if you want to know how to build culture, you need to come to them. And I thought, no, I have built culture. And I have built something that's counter. But let me just tell you, I really didn't build it. I submitted to the one who's the builder. And if you'll just do what he says and the work. Did you hear Dwayne speaking last night? I mean, Tim and Stephen and I were talking today. We, we, he hit something we were going to talk about because he basically quoted the whole Bible last night. <laughs> it just kept coming out of his mouth. You couldn't have heard Dwayne Sheriff last night and not heard the word. It just flew. It just flowed. It just went. I'm like, okay, what do I say? You say the word. And the word just flows out of you. Here's a basic principle that I, I had learned as I grow, and, and I, I have grown in my relationship with the Lord. I've learned I've learned a few things. And probably here's one of the biggest. When I was a kid, I knew how to act when I was around my dad. Now, I knew what to do, and I sure knew what not to do. I knew what was accepted, and I knew what was not accepted. I knew what would get me blessed, and I knew what would get me whooped. See, you, you, you know how I knew that? 
Because I knew my dad. I knew what he expected. I knew what he wanted from me. I, I, I knew that he thought about a situation and I needed to figure out how he thought about it so I knew how to act in that situation. I knew what to say when someone would ask me a question because my father had already put the words in my mouth of what to, how many times do you say, boy, you look sharp today to a young person and you hear the mom and dad, what do the mom and dad say? You tell them, thank you. I've quit complimenting our kids here. These parents are meaner than anybody I've ever seen. They take them off to a room if they don't look up and say, thank you. I used to just cry for BJ's kids. Somebody compliment them and they don't say anything. And here goes B.J. or McKinley. And I mean, those two kids getting whooped. Look where they're sitting today, just sitting there, paying attention to the sermon, listening to what's going. See, I, I knew and they knew what dad expected because dad taught them. We just need to know our father. I mean, it's just, we're looking for this big one, two, three. There's your one, two, three. Just know your father. Now, my dad, my biological dad was not perfect, but don't miss my point here. I understand your mom and dad weren't perfect. If they were, they wouldn't need Jesus. Come on. I mean, we get so caught up on making everybody in our life. Jesus is the perfect one. So he's not going to give you bad advice. And he's always right there. I mean, he's always right there with you. We think for some reason he's not because we turned away. But, but he's right there. Suppose you were in the process of doing something you knew was dead wrong. And you turned around and right there is Jesus. And you're like, oh, I probably better not do that wrong. If you were more aware, do you think that the presence of the Lord might inhibit your sinful tendency if you acknowledged him? If you were aware that he was there, you might not say what you've been saying. Do what you've been doing. He's here. He's just as near as if you could see him standing here. He's here. And when you're tempted to do what you think you would not do if he was present or not, I mean, we're so caught up on not even acknowledging that he's here. And I I think about that. You have no choice on whether or not he's here or not. You don't have choice. No choice on whether you have him near for comfort or near for conviction. You, you, you have, he's just there. You can't run from God. As soon as you run away from him, you're running into him. Omnipresent. I, you, can't, you can't get away from him, but we act like we can. And we got a society and a culture that act that way. You know, Adam and Eve tried to hide from God in the garden. That didn't work. God found them, kicked them out. I mean, Dwayne talked all about it last night. Jonah tried to run from God when he's told to preach to the Ninevites. He didn't want to. And he didn't want to because he didn't want to hang out with any of them in heaven one day. I don't really want them in right standing. I'm not going to preach with them. I don't like them. So I'm not going there. And, 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 and he gets on a boat and tells the sailors that he's running away from God. God sends a storm. Guess who goes overboard? He does. You know what? He still couldn't get away with, from God. God sends his own vessel and comes and gets him and takes him where he needs to be. You can't get away from God. But we spend our life oftentimes thinking we can. It's pretty dumb to think for a second that you're hiding from God. Because you're not. You're not hiding from him. Hebrews 4.13. There's no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Remember, wherever you go, God's already there. You're taking him with you wherever you go. My mama used to tell me that, and it got in me as a kid. She used to say, just listen, I may not be there, but God is. 
And I'd be going to do something that I probably shouldn't have been doing. And I'm like, I'd get there. And then all of a sudden, my mama's words would come to my mind. And i go, oh, man, God's right here. I got to go. That is a good principle to live by. But not just as a parent to tell their kids, but for us to tell each other and to tell ourselves. God is always there. Why not just acknowledge him and create culture with him and engage your life with him? He made it all possible. Just acknowledge him publicly, publicly. We get people against us. And and they're building a group against us in culture. We are never alone. Find one ally. I got him. Jesus. I, I don't have to look. He's right there. Always. So a point to give you tonight, acknowledge God's presence when you're tempted to do something without him. You need to acknowledge him. You're not doing that without him. You've taken him with you. And here's how you plan your strategy. Psalm 119.11, I've already said, your word I've hidden in my heart that I won't sin against you. See, I'm going to acknowledge your presence. The more that you obey his word, the more you obey his word, the more you realize he is his word, and as you hide him in your heart, you've hidden God in your heart, and then he can come out because his word's in you, therefore your word can come out and it's his word. It just, I, I watched that in the lives of Christians. Ask Jesus into your heart. Have you ever, that's the weirdest thing ever. I thought that as a kid. I'm going to ask Jesus into my blood pumping organ. That's not what we say and that's not what it means. We ask Jesus in our heart because we want his word. We want him in our heart. We want him in a place that it comes out of every part of who we are. Here's the second thing. Acknowledge God's presence when you're troubled. When you're troubled, when you're going through something very tough, acknowledge his presence. Acknowledge his presence. Isaiah 43 1 through 5, there's a whole bunch right there. Uh, But if you jump down to 5, it says, don't be afraid, for I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. Come on, get that in your heart tonight. I'm with you. I'm with you. I care about you. I care about, I'm with you. I care about you, and I love all of you, but I can't be with you all the time, but God can. God can be with you all the time. You just got to start acknowledging his presence. And the third way you acknowledge the presence of God is you acknowledge him when you're on a hard assignment. See, life gets tough when we're thinking about doing something we shouldn't do, and then when God gives us an assignment. Our assignment is based on what our giftings are and what God is going to or has equipped us to do. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes God asks me to do something that I never thought of doing and I really don't want to do. Have you ever been, just that still small voice and Okay, go do that. No, I don't want to do that. And he's prompting me, and I'm like, I don't want to do that. And I'm, I, I just wish you'd say, well, I'll tell you what to say, but my mind starts running. I'm like, I don't know what to say. Go pray for them. I don't know what to pray. I'll tell you. I'm not, you're not doing this alone. Come on, come with me. Come with me. See, Jesus is always with us. I, he doesn't say that, but what you've got to do is acknowledge him, and then your words will be where they need That's to be. Right. But when you don't acknowledge him, you leave it all to your own strength and power, and you'll fail every time. When you get an assignment, you do it with him. When Michelle and I were called to start this church, we're like, oh, man, we can't do it. Tim, we need your help. You're going to have to do it. And Tim all the time said, yeah, I, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, that's his favorite line. I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what to do. You just have to, but you're just going to have to do it. And I'm like, oh, God. 
What are we going to do? I remember the start of the church. I thought, I'm going to put it on radio. I'm going to be in a tent. We're going to have this giant big start. And I'm not against that, but that was what I thought would be a great idea. He said, don't do that. And I'm like, okay, what do you do? He goes, I don't know, but don't do that. (laughs) So we all got around our coffee table and prayed, and God was there. I'm with you. And we prayed that God would send people because my pastor told me not to ask anybody. You got to trust God. He's with you. And you know that next week the phone started ringing. Hey, we're looking for a church. And God called us to call. He just prompted us to call you all. You know of a church? Well, we happened to start one last Wednesday. How many people are going? Oh, it's just me and Michelle. <laughs> God just, I, Exodus 3.12, Moses, I'll certainly be with you. I'll certainly be with you. He promises Moses of his certain and constant and abiding presence. Oh, my. So much. Many of you are going to get convicted this week, and I already have, just to go out and do something. God's going to lay something on your heart because God speaks to us, and he calls us into action. And he does it through just the preaching of the word sitting under the anointing of men who have been called to tell you this is the way you ought to do it. You ought to try this. You ought to go do this. All based on an outflow of the word of God in their heart. And you'll get convicted to do something. And I just want to remind you, God's saying tonight to us, I will be with you. Come on, we can do this. We can counter this culture. We don't do anything here alone that's going to be effective for the kingdom without him. He's everything. He's our assignment. He's with you right now. I was in the truck this week, and I was just spending some time praying over this week. And I just turned on the radio, and I was listening to a preacher preach, and I was enjoying the podcast. And He was just talking about how wonderful the Lord is and how grateful he was to have a relationship with him in certain seasons when you felt like you're all alone. And I, I just was alone at that time, and he, he said, I'm not big on listening to what someone said 100 years ago because some people don't think it's relative. But he quoted something that D.L. Moody wrote, and I sat in my truck, and I listened to that, and I just started crying <laughs> because I thought, God, I don't know how I'm where I'm at. I don't know how my wife's still married to me. I don't know how you... Over 18 to 20 years, my kids are still in church. I don't know how any of this happened, but I'm overwhelmed with your goodness. And as this was read, I just sat there and weeped. Here's what D.O. Moody said. He said, I've come to him as the best friend I've ever found, and I can trust him. I believed he is my Savior. I believed he is God. I have believed he went to the cross for me. And I have come to him and submitted myself on my knees and surrendered everything to him. And got up and stood by his side as my friend and there isn't any problem in my life and there isn't any uncertainty in my work that I cannot speak to him as naturally as someone in the same room. And I've been doing this for all these years because he is the best friend I've ever had. I don't know if your parents have let you down. I don't know if it's a friend, if it's a neighbor, maybe a a spouse. If you're a man, that would be a woman. If you're a woman, that's a man. (laughs) 
But I'm telling you, God's never left you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's right there. And I just think a lot of times he's just waiting for you to say, I need you, God. Yeah. I was in my office and I just spending some time before coming in and the Holy Spirit just came on me. It was, and I just started singing. That's what I do. I just start singing, and I, I, I just love the old songs of the church, what I kind of grew up with. I mean, praise God for what we got now, but I just in there, and I, I, I need thee every hour, most gracious Lord. No tender voice like thine can peace afford. I need thee, oh, I need thee, every hour I need thee, oh, bless me now, my Savior, I come to thee. We need God, and He's here. Thank you for being part of our podcast today. You'll find more online messages from Christian Ministries Church, as well as location information on our website at cmchurch.net. There's a place for you at Christian Ministries Church, where it's more than a church, it's family.